0: last, you know, 12 months of actively thinking about this, actively moving through different exercises, talking to different folks, I come to realize that discovering purpose or finding purpose is inherently flawed because it ultimately is cultivated. It's ultimately uncovered. Only by taking that first step into purpose are we able to actually move forward. So I don't know what the full paragraph purpose of what I'm doing in 30 years is, nor do I want to. All we can do is take that first step of what feels like a purpose-driven step in the moment.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is
0: Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Good
1: morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. This week, we have a very special episode that we would like to record and share with all the listeners. We are approaching end of the year. And before entering to the new year of 2022, I think it's very important for us to establish our individual and collective intention for the new year to come. Because actions and beliefs start with intention. On that sense, Aiden, one of our very, very intentional and pillars of our podcast is intentionality. During our preparation and brainstorming session for today's recording, I noticed you wrote down something that you have coined it with compass questions. So let's start this recording with the intention because we're going to the new year with the intention. And I would love for you to aid and share the compass question they wrote down and the origins and why you felt called to write such a question to guide your life with.
0: Definitely, man. Yeah, excited to jump into this reflection episode. For me, the compass question came out of necessity in that in prior years, you know, backing up five, 10 years, I always had these dream or outlandish New Year's goals of, I wanted to lose 20 pounds, or I wanted to get a dream job or find a fulfilling relationship, or whatever that goal was, it was very outcome oriented in that I was writing goals and then striving towards those goals throughout the year. And I remember, you know, time after time, coming in on the end of December, would always just see, oh, I didn't accomplish it this year, maybe next year. Right, So that maybe next year idea was really the thing that sparked this compass question idea. And for me, my compass question this year was very simple. How can I show up to serve, love, connect, and evolve? And what I mean by compass question is it's a question that serves as a compass in the rest of your life. So whenever I came into a new circumstance or a new experience situation, asking myself this question in the moment would then dictate to how I respond. And I think it kind of like guides intuition in a weird way of, I asked myself this question before going into a challenge, for example, whatever came up as the answer to the question was generally the correct way to move. Really the idea uh, from Viktor Frankl really comes to mind of between stimulus and response, there's a space, in that space is our power to choose our response. In our responses lies our growth and freedom. So this is basically a question to ask ourselves in that space, in that gap between stimulus and response. And by having, you know, the values or the themes that you want to act with within a specific year, it helps you move in a more intentional and directed way. So just thinking back to where I was at the year in a job that wasn't serving me, working long hours in work that was not enjoyable. Um, really not knowing what I wanted to create in the long term of my life and being really stuck feeling in a perpetual cycle of dating. Whereas, you know, 12 months on the other side, I've fulfilled some of my biggest goals, including running a marathon, finding a dream job, finding a dream partner. A lot of those things really just came to light out of moving through this compass question of how can I show up to serve, love, connect, and evolve?
1: Yeah, that's amazing, man. I just want to take a moment and deliberately repeat the question. Your 2021 Compass Question that you've came to recognize as a guiding philosophy is how can I show up to serve, love, connect, and evolve? And two things come to my mind as you're explaining the origins or the genesis of why Compass Question was born out of a necessity, as you said. The first thing is it's almost like you're unintentionally or maybe unknowingly there is an intention starting with an end in mind because like you alluded to all these feelings and all these achievements in my opinion are surrounded by the emotions when you get that bonus when you get that promotion when you get that dream partner that you were seeking you are able to eliminate all the choices and dilemmas because you realize it's not the actual task or the actual checking boxes but the emotion and the fulfillment you felt on the other side. So to me, it sounds like you're starting with the end in mind by eliminating a lot of choices, by eliminating a lot of dilemmas, by just honing in on what matters. Oh, what sort of emotions am I going to feel on the other side? And the second thing is the freedom of choicelessness, because similar to the starting with the end in mind, by having a compass question, you're eliminating a bunch of choices because we know how we show up day to day is very much predicated on how we feel at that specific moment or what sort of experiences we're going through at those periods of our lives. But by having a compass question, rather than having goals or even intentions or aspirations or a task, you are eliminating a lot of choices of doing by focusing on the being. And so I just wanna repeat that, your compass question reminded me of the importance and the intention of starting with the end in mind What matters at the end of the day? Is it the promotion? Is it the actual tangible process? Or is it how I'm feeling on the other side? And the freedom of choicelessness by eliminating choices that could take away from your resource, your energy, your emotions. And that's a really, really powerful way. And I definitely feel like it's it's nothing new because what you've shared, the connections, the love, the service, are something that we both embody for the past few years but I definitely haven't seen anyone who are able to articulate that philosophy in a very simplistic and very succinct manner. So I do appreciate sharing this with everyone.
0: Thank you, man. And I'm really glad you brought in that freedom of choicelessness idea, because I think that's a really important idea to highlight. You know, I think minimalism is really coming into the conversation now of, you know, if you have less things in your house, there's less things to choose from, or a smaller space generally provides a clearer environment to make decisions in, right? Less clutter, less physical clutter than less mental clutter. It's kind of like that minimalism ideology. And really the freedom of choicelessness, I guess, illustrates that exactly of sometimes when we don't have a choice, there is a freedom in that element. And I think, you know, in today's day and age of having social media, you know, we have choices of essentially anything in life, what we want to watch on Netflix, who we want to date on any of those dating apps, but really looking into how we can streamline our decision-making process is a big way that this compass question came in of, I wanted to make decisions easier going forward and more aligned, right? There's a saying I've been riffing on this year of, if it's aligned, it's easy, you know? And I can beautifully see that in your past six months of grad school or four months. Um, not that it's easy. I have know you've gone through tremendous challenge and hard work through this past year But anytime I talk to you about it It seemed to have like an ease in the way you were talking about it because it was so aligned, right? And that's really the choice reveals itself when it's most aligned
1: I think that speaks to our episode of yoshua that choices are illusions Why are they illusions because when you come so clear about what choice you must do Every other alternatives are just illusions, but that requires being really honed into what matters, in this case, your compass question. And speaking of the power and the freedom of choicelessness, uh, since one of our intentions for this episode is to for us collectively sit down together and honor and celebrate some of the moments, some of the experiences, many pain teachers and celebrations have gone through, Um, So I definitely do want to brag and celebrate some of my achievements uh, that relate to this freedom of choicelessness. So for this semester at USC, I I finished my first semester with a 4.0 GPA. It was the first time I received 4.0 on a grad school level. And I share that because during my previous grad studies at University of Pennsylvania, I had a 3.7 GPA. But the difference is I, I want everyone to focus not on the GPA per se, but the approach I took because when I was at Penn, I viewed GPA as the end goal and learning as a byproduct. I cared more about the tangible numeric number that I get to write on my resume rather than the actual experiences and the encompassing learning opportunities I are given in that program. And I actually did worse academically in terms of GPA points. Whereas this time around, four years later on the other side, through maturity, through experiences, I learned to prioritize what truly matters so this time around, I told myself even before the school started that this time I'm going to do the work. What I mean by that is I'm not going to skip readings. I'm not going to take any shortcuts. I'm going to view learning as the end goal, period. And GPA is the byproduct of my opportunities and my effort. And lo, you know, lo and behold, 15 weeks later on the other side, I found out that I got 4.0 last week, uh, two weeks after my semester ended. And I told myself, wow. This is the first time academically in undergrad or grad school where I took no shortcuts. I did every single reading every single week, which were very consuming, of course. But thinking back, I realized, wow, that was actually easy because I didn't have to choose between learning or GPA. I didn't have to choose between readings or writing assignments. I'd have to choose between my social life or work. I simply viewed my container of grad school as I'm here to learn. I'm here to become as competent of a clinician as I possibly can. And the rest is just noise. And here I am celebrating my 4.0 GPA for the first time on a grad school level uh, because I deleted or I eliminated the choices by saying that those are all fluff. All that matters is I'm here to learn. And everything else is a byproduct of that. And I think that's the power of freedom of choicelessness is we can't predicate what we want to do based on our effort alone. Because every single day, our emotions and feelings are transient. We're going to wake up one day feeling motivated or productive The next day we might wake up shitty, which is what I experienced this week during the holiday season. So what that means is if we leave our effort to how we're feeling that day, we can't control the outcome. Not that we ever want to control the outcome, but I think this way at least sounds like from both of our stories that let's start with an end in mind. What are you seeking through this experience or through this project or through this moment? Is it this? Is it GPA? Is it checking all the boxes or do you just want to focus on what truly matters that's only identified by you, of course, and everyone discerns differently. Um, but yeah, I think freedom of choice lens is something that I would like to continue to practice onward uh, because I think we show up best when we eliminate as many choices as possible. Yeah. Well, first and
0: foremost, congrats on the 4.0. I know you've been working very hard throughout this semester, so it's awesome to see that work pay off on the other side. And I'd love to kind of zoom in there a little bit and maybe, See be a little bit more tangibly as to what speaking learning looks more like. You know, I know you articulated that it's kind of anything else besides learning is noise, but I think it's a really interesting illustration of an idea that I've been thinking a lot about this year, and that is the refinement process. Uh, I have an aunt who's really dear to my heart. She's 95, her name's Aunt Grace, worked at Esalen for years, meditation teacher. And our whole philosophy is life is a refinement process. Every opportunity or every challenge we see is an opportunity to further refine the lessons that we've learned previously, right? Like before we hopped on the mic, we were saying, why do we always forget those lessons? But I think that's a opportunity as a refinement process to, you know, remember more and more or have the space in between forgetting become less and less or be able to refine the approach into a better and better way, which to your point around between Penn and USC of seeking the GPA or seeking the learning, you've refined your approach to academia, your approach to learning, your approach to becoming a great clinician. What do you think are some of the big differences in the way that you approached the GPA focused Penn experience and the learning at USC experience?
1: Yeah, great question. and you are right on because I think if you were to boil down everything I said, it is refinement process. I refined my perspective how, what sort of approach I want to take this time around four years later on the other side. So more tangibly, for example, when I was at Penn, I viewed each assignment, like writing assignment with like 10, 15 pages of empirical evidence, super academic dense writing. Like these aren't free writings. We're not journaling for 10 pages. It's very, very evidence based. So anytime I had a deadline, or deliverables for you private sector people, I felt anxiety, I felt stress. I was like, oh God, there goes my next 16, 18, 24 hours. You know, slaving already at writing this project, even though I don't really care about the project, I just want to get a good grade. This time around, I experienced no stress. I've had 15 long papers and a couple finals uh, in my class because I took 15 credits in addition to 18 hours of part-time clinician job as an intern, I experienced no stress because I was like, oh, writing assignment, the purpose of that is what? For me to reflect everything I've learned so far, whether it's theories, whether it's neurobiology, whether it's techniques or interventions, it's simply an opportunity for me to show off what I've learned by being graded by the faculty member. So why is there stress in that? It's It's like this conversation almost. It's an opportunity and a space for me to celebrate what I've gone through by writing about what I've learned. Likewise, whenever there were finals around, I remember feeling balls and balls of anxiety around my peers. Because you know when that anxiety is so dense and moist, you can almost feel other people's stress. But then I realized, oh, I'm not really stressed by any of these finals because once again, it's an opportunity for me to show off what I've learned. And this reminds me of uh, Floyd Mayweather, what he said before his fight with Pacquiao. Uh, One of his best friends, who also used to be a journalist, asked him, all right, he walked in on Mayweather's championship fight like a few years ago. And he saw Mayweather had his legs up and just watching TV. And this was like 30 minutes before the grand championship. And his friend asked Mayweather, aren't you stressed, man? Don't you got to stretch? Don't you got to work out? Don't you got to prepare? And Mayweather didn't even move his legs. He kept leaning back, smoking, I think, a cigar, watching TV. And he told his friends, what am I preparing for? everything that needs to be done is already done. This is simply a moment for me to show off how far I've come. If I lose, that means I didn't prepare enough. If I win, that means I prepared enough. There is nothing for me to choose at this moment. It's just the moment, it's here. And that's freedom of choicelessness, is you don't have to do anything because everything's already been done within your capacity. For me, USC this time around, that's how I viewed my entire semester. And of course there is stress because stress is inherent to life and Writing all these papers and reading like 250 pages of scientific journals every week wasn't easy. But because of the work, I didn't have to worry about the projects they writings, because those are simply opportunities for me to reflect and celebrate how much I've learned as a student.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I think really focusing in on the learning itself rather than the outcome of the learning is a profound approach that can be applied in academia, but then, you know, any other kind of circumstances while learning for almost the sake of the joy of learning Um, and it definitely makes me curious as to your first clinical field placement did you apply that same lens to your day-to-day work within the field placement
1: yeah um before answering that question i just wanted to say briefly that like i said the refinement process of the approach i took this time around is very much related to my end goal, which is to become a very competent clinician in the mental health space. So I knew that my GPA has no relevance to who I am as a clinician. So that's why I didn't have any choice but to focus on learning because learning dictates how much influence and how much help I can offer to my patients and clients. So similarly with my clinical field placements, it's a very specific and more niche because it's forensic clinical space versus the typical clinical space that people perceive mental health as. Uh, So I can't really go into the specifics because I am appointee of the court and everything and anything I say can be subpoenaed and used against me on trial for my clients and for my patients. But what I will speak on is that dealing with humans, it's even more of the idea that I just alluded to, that there is even less control that I could exert at least with learning, the outcome is a reflection of my efforts. Like how much effort I dive into learning in terms of reading, in terms of annotating my reading, in terms of integrating my readings is very much different than how I'm trying to assist and help my patients and clients. It's bi-directional because it's not just about how much effort I'm giving within the container of a therapy space with me and my patients. But it's more about what are they getting in from this container of space? And what they feel, how they feel and what they receive is none of that is predicated or influenced by me because I can't change or influence other people's behaviors. I just can't. That's not what we do as clinicians. Uh, So in that sense, my approach is, okay, I'm just going to try my best with the clinical toolkits and the interventions and the evidence based therapeutic practices that I have within my disposal. But everything else is not up to me. It's up to God and the universe that hopefully through my mindfulness, through my presence, through my rapport building and being a witness to their pain, right? Because that's pretty much what we do is we bear witness to other people's pain and trauma. The rest is up to the universe and God. I've done my job is bringing who I am and the best I possibly can as a clinician in that space to sit with those pain is what I'm here for. But the rest isn't up to me. So once again, it eliminates a lot of my choices because I'm not worried about, oh, did I show up? Oh, was that, how was the efficacy of my therapy sessions? How did it go? I'm not thinking about any of that is I brought myself and I was there in this space with them by doing what I possibly can, but the outcome isn't in my control. Just like GPA or the outcome of GPA isn't within my control. I'm just focused on learning and the rest is up to the professors.
0: Definitely, yeah, I think the idea of detachment really comes up for me throughout that story of kind of showing up doing the best you can but detaching from the outcome of what that is and that both applies to this clinical field placement as well as the gpa um, and that really reminds me of numerous conversations that we've had throughout the time with discover more you know talk thinking back to natalie brown's story about detaching and manifesting a jaguar on that safari or even most recently with Joshua Greenfield talking about using Buddhist philosophies, including detachment, to overcome his depression and nihilism. Um, So really detachment is one that I've been thinking a lot about, of really just trying to focus on the process. Um, In a weird way, the compass question is a practice of detachment because it's focusing on how can I show up? All that matters is the practice, the process. Thinking back to January, I couldn't have even imagined the outcome that this past year has resulted in it sounds like you feel pretty similarly and really focusing on that process you know that's something that we've been shouting from the roof helps on discover more since day one is trust the process detach from the outcome which it sounds like is the same ethos running through both of our shared stories just manifesting in slightly different ways this time around yeah and
1: I am fearful that we'll be get sued by the 76ers for stealing their slogan of trust the process so much. We've definitely abused that slogan many, many times and intention many times on this show, but that's our belief. Uh, I just want to share something very high level and brief uh, because I am still in the process of integrating whatever lessons I must learn through this experience. So uh, this was the toughest holiday season for me within the last decade. My parents flew in from Pittsburgh to LA to visit me and my sister and my girlfriend Becky. And through a lot of complex situations and circumstances, my dad and I had the biggest fight in our lives. And for the first time in my my childhood, adolescence and adulthood, we came to a stagnant point. And we both have decided that we will not speak to each other indefinitely. And for those people who don't know me very well, One of my most treasured pillars is family, period. And that's because of my ethnicity as a Korean-American. And that's because of the way I was brought up. And obviously, Asian culture tends to focus a lot on family. And it's just honoring that tradition. Um, So because of the fight, I tried to be, in a way, I I almost felt my ego. right? Because I was like, oh, I'm a clinician now. I'm helping so many of my patients. Of course, I could deal with my dad's trauma, and there are many attributing factors, but some of the high levels are, my dad has a lot of generational trauma, unattended and unhealed trauma, and he doesn't think he needs help. Um, So there's a lot of mixing forces at play. So I tried to talk to him as his son, didn't work. I tried to talk to him as an adult, as a human to human, didn't work. So I tried to talk to him as a clinician, also didn't work, because I'm sure some people here could relate. Doesn't matter if you're a physician, doesn't matter if you're an expert, your families don't really trust you. That's what families are for, right? So I I, I exhausted all my options and I was, I cried. Uh, The level of emotional torment that I felt this past week is unfathomable. Um, it, It was a really tough time for me. And then I gave up, I had to surrender because I realized there's nothing I could do. I can't influence what my dad wants to say or how to behave, he's 65 years old. It's like the lesson of I learned through my patients and clients, and now it's transferred to my dad. But of course it's very different because it's very personal because it's family. Whereas my patients, I could compartmentalize that. Um, so long story short, uh, last night he called me saying that he's not gonna apologize uh, because he doesn't, didn't do anything wrong. And then after the phone call, it lasted for three hours. I cried again and I gave up truly. And I, I, I told myself, God, please take over. There's nothing else I could do. I'm done. And I, I just prayed all night, fully giving up on the fact that there is no hope at this time. But hopefully something will change in the future. And I got a text from my dad this morning when I was at the gym right before this recording that he said, hey, son, I'd like to meet up. And even though I don't truly understand why you're so angry, what I've done wrong, but it sounds like you really want to give my apologies. And I'm willing to come to your apartment today and sit down with everyone. And formally apologize to you because that's what family's for. That moment when I received the text was unimaginable because eight hours prior, I gave up. I've exhausted all my toolkits, I've exhausted everything that I know. And here I am on the other side after a true, complete detachment. The outcome fell into my lap when I had zero expectations. Why? Because I gave up. Yeah, so that's all I wanted to share because I'm still integrating through the lessons. And obviously this isn't a space for me to expose my dirty laundry per se. But I share that story because Aiden, we've been talking about the power of detachment and what it truly means for us and the outcome without the expectations. And the one thing that comes to my mind is recently you've accomplished one of your biggest bucket list items, running a marathon. And I would love for you to walk us through the tangibles and the intangibles of the approach you took, the detachment process that you told me about, and just overall, how was that for you and why did you do it?
0: Sure, for sure. So the why comes from years back um, and that was the feeling of impossibility around running a marathon. I watched one of my best high school friends run a marathon back in like 2010, give or take. And I remember watching him cross the line you know, drenched in sweat, limping across, barely being able to breathe. And me, you know, sitting on the sideline, overweight and insecure, really just not being able to comprehend ever having the potential of doing that. And for me that eventually the impossibility, I think evolved into a curiosity, right? For the last five or so years, I've really been pushing myself in terms of health and physical fitness um, challenging myself through cold showers, difficult conversations, hiking, skydiving, things of the sort. Um, I really feel that difficult challenges or obstacles bring out the best in us. Sometimes, like those things wouldn't surface without the challenge. So for me, I kind of recognized that the feeling impossibility of impossibility was a bit of a signpost, because you know thousands of people run marathons every year why not me was essentially the question. And I would encourage other people to think about that question, not in the self grandiose ego way of why not me, but rather the rounded and curious way of why not me. You know, why not me in terms of losing 20 pounds or why not me in terms of winning a job and finding the dream job, right? So that curiosity of me of running the marathon really was the thing that initially sparked that desire And then weird little reminders just continued to come up um one was a dinner that we had with friend and discover more guest matthias uh he's a long-term endurance athlete recently ran a triathlon that kind of got me like energetic and you know alive feeling around the concept of challenging myself in an endurance way that i hadn't before our summer conversation with corey camp was another big Trigger for this decision to be made. I actually think I signed up for the marathon the week we got back from August, or our August vacation together, where we met Corey and had that great interview with one another. Um, So really it was little signs across the year, just saying, hey, why not run a marathon this year? And really had that all-in feeling around, I want to do this, I can do this, and it will be, beneficial for me. I think that last one is an interesting is an interesting question that I had around it because for the longest time I was worried about getting injured, right? I didn't want to sacrifice my long-term health for reaching this one-term milestone. So that demanded research, conversations, appropriate training, um, and really once I had a yes to all three of those questions, it just felt like the right thing to do. Uh, in terms of the training as a whole, I really just approached it with that Detached mindset. I know we've been talking about detachment a lot, but I didn't even consider, I guess, the prospect of skipping a workout because I knew, to your point around that Pacquiao fight earlier on, once you get to the game day, that's just time to perform. But really, like the work and the struggle is in the months prior. So I just tried to lean into that. Every decision I was making was for that future self. And I think that is in another important thread that I'd like to pull on. It's you're either healing or stealing from your future self, right? We're either looking out for that person two days from now, a month from now, a year from now, or we're stealing from them, whether that's stealing their health, stealing their happiness, stealing their well-beings or relationships. And I realized that any long run that I missed, I'd be paying for it three months down the road at marathon time. So really getting familiar with and honoring that future self that would be running the marathon in November, looking out for him with care and compassion is really the big idea that comes to mind because I wanted to do everything in that moment to serve that future self that would be running the marathon. So I don't get to mile 24 and start like, you know, peeling over, throwing up or something like that, but really, you know, because I had that mindset of, Again, freedom of choicelessness. I'm not gonna skip workouts because I'm looking out for future Aiden running that marathon. That allowed me to finish you know, negative splits the last six miles, passing hundreds and hundreds of people because I felt good and felt ready um, throughout the race. And even, I guess the one last idea that I want to mention around both the training itself and the race in general, was a lesson that I learned from a coach I worked with this year, Mike Idala, and his idea is just simply expect nothing, experience everything. So going into a long run, instead of having expectations around what do I want my splits to look like? What route do I want to take? What shoes should I wear? It was really just experiencing as much as possible. And I think removing any expectations from what a long run would look like, what a training block would look like or even what the marathon itself would look like really allowed me to lean into the experience as a whole and have a really fulfilling and positive relationship through all of it
1: yeah i think that story perfectly threads in both the lessons of freedom of choicelessness and starting with the end in mind in this case you started with the end in mind to serve your future self by not skipping certain workouts by not escaping from the pain or discomfort, right? Seeking discomforts another slogan we've abused many, many times on the show. And of course, Yashua would have been proud if you ran that marathon barefoot, but maybe that's a goal for uh, next time. And I'm not going to talk too much about this, but when you said that, because in a, in a way, our future selves don't really get to decide. They get what they get based on the accumulations and repetition of what we do. What I mean by that is I had this recognition when I was really, really high a few months ago, and I actually had a conversation with a friend. And this ties into David Cho's podcast with Joe Rogan, when David Cho was talking about the suicide of Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace. And suicide prevention is my specialty, and that is what I'm going for, which is psychedelic medicine as a a psychotherapist, Um, some trigger warnings. And I remember in that episode... David Cho was in tears because him and Anthony Bourdain's are best friends. And he told Joe Rogan that Anthony murdered himself, that Anthony murdered himself. And um, suicide is extremely, extremely vulnerable and sensitive topic. And of course, I, as a veteran, it's a topic that's very close to my heart. And of course, it's a very, very bold and insensitive statement that made my David Cho. But I think if you know the context, it makes sense. Because on a more simple level the pain is maximum although pain is subjective it is always maximum to the individual experiencing the pain period so what that means is at the moment of pain just like when I was going through my dad this was the first time I didn't short-circuit my pain I didn't try to think my way out of it I just sat through the pain and then I thought about it that's why for a lot of people dealing with mental health challenges and suicidal ideations they don't see anything else all they feel and see is the pain at the moment uh, and of course, many people do, unfortunately, take their own lives and it's really, really, really tragic. But if you zoom out, you realize that you don't know what's going to happen with your future self. It may take six months. It may take 10 years. Depressions may never go away. Whatever challenges may never go away, but we don't know what we don't now. And I think that's what David Cho was alluding to, that he wished and he prayed for Anthony Bourdain to reach out to him because he, he knew there's hope for future Anthony Bourdain. But because Anthony took his own life, his future self never got to make that choice. There is no choice. Because once again, future selves get what they get based on the accumulations and repetition of what we do every single day. Um, and I share that because that's what I sense through your story on a story on a more micro level. Uh, because as you say, you're 100% right. We can either heal or steal from our future selves. In a sense, we do have this divine Godly power because every single waking moment, we are constantly deciding and dictating the fate of our future selves. And that's why I think your approach was so powerful, Aiden, because once again, it came down to your compass question of what am I here to do? Oh, I'm here to serve future Eden through this experience of a marathon. I really, really want to focus on that is that our futures never have a choice. That's how we need to make the decision for them by honoring our future.
0: To your point, definitely a tragedy that a lot of folks, Anthony Bardian included, kind of get to that period of hopelessness where there may be hope that other people see, but you know, the darkness can become consuming. So definitely thoughts and prayers going out to anyone. Dealing with anything like that, uh, I know suicide prevention is definitely close to your heart and part of your long-term plan. So I'd like to stay on the topic of the future self, but maybe just shift down a gear out of, you know, the suicidal ideations into looking out for future self in terms of maybe goal development or specifically uncovering or discovering our purpose. Uh, cause this one is something that's really close to my heart after this year, because one of the main intentions I had going forward in this year was discovering my purpose or finding my purpose. And i think that's something that a lot of people these days you know a lot of you listening are really thinking about right it's not at least i found it wasn't enough just to work for a paycheck i was really seeking something more to find something fulfilling um where i could actually feel like my work is creating something positive in the world so purpose is the big idea that was coming to being and through the last you know 12 months of actively thinking about this actively moving through different exercises, talking to different folks, I come to realize that discovering purpose or finding purpose is inherently flawed because it ultimately is cultivated. It's ultimately uncovered. Only by taking that first step into purpose are we able to actually move forward. So I don't know what the full paragraph purpose of what I'm doing in 30 years is, nor do I want to. All we can do is take that first step of what feels like a purpose-driven step in the moment. This really reminds me or is resonant of a podcast that I listened to earlier this year, which is probably my favorite one that I've listened to throughout the year. Would highly recommend anyone listening to it. It's with meditation teacher Light Watkins on the Rich Roll podcast. And he has this one, this one one-liner. Well, he has several one-liners, but this one struck really differently and it's the next steps aren't revealed until you take the first one. And he gives this analogy of life is basically, we're given a treasure map, but each treasure clue only has the first clue each time. So like, you know, in my mind, the clue that I got midway through the year was, hey, leave the current job that you're at, see what new opens up. Whenever we take something off of our plate, whenever we remove something from our space, space for new things emerge right so only by quitting my last job was a new fulfilling job able to come through only by deleting the dating apps and getting off of random dates three times a week was i able to attract a dream relationship you know so really thinking through what is the next aligned purpose-driven step maybe that resonates with whatever your compass question might be and then moving in that way. Life is like chess in a weird way. You don't know what 10 moves away is gonna look like. You only know what the present moment step is. And each time we can take that next step with intention, with alignment, and ultimately with love. That's generally what i found is the most healthy way uh, to move forward.
1: Wait, so you're saying that purpose does not just magically fall into our laps? we can't just meditate all day for 40 hours, every single day. And just hoping that our purpose will just magically appear on our doorstep.
0: As much as I would like to say, yes. I mean, and maybe some people, their purpose (laughs) is meditation. You know, I think there's some people out there that whether it's meditating to serve other people, teaching others to meditate, there's definitely elements of that can serve purpose and purpose doesn't need to be, I'm glad you brought this up. Purpose doesn't need to be some grandiose saving the world kind of situation purpose can be something as simple as walking your dog or taking care of a loved one or taking out your neighbor for cycling. Like it doesn't fucking matter what your purpose is. It doesn't need to be this big grandiose thing, but really just something that you feel purposeful for is healthy in all respects of the word and not just healthy, but also fun. Like I just enjoy this life experience a hell of a lot more moving with purpose than moving with any other Intention out there.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day We are nothing but just floating stardust an infinitely expansive galaxy. So that's why we obviously both subscribe to the idea that life is meaningless But it's empowering for us because we get to choose the lens we get to view our world through and I think that's what empowerment and purpose is and Speaking of purpose aiden, I know You've done many first steps purposefully this year But one thing that really shines through many of your ventures and projects and incremental purposeful steps is you doubling down on creativity and writing. And I know that because I know you very well. And every time you write, every time you express your ideals, your philosophy, your beliefs, your lessons, whatever you're going through day to day, month to month, you come alive when you download and offload those into a paper. And expressing what you want to express through a written format whereas for me i gravitate more towards verbal and auditory formats um, and i've seen you come alive doesn't matter the how hard life is slamming at you at that moment doesn't matter how much obstacle or adversity life is slapping you with even when you're unprepared when you're right you come alive and i'd love to focus and zoom in on that for a bit and walk us through what about writing that really calls you on it uh, because i do believe like what kitty said right everyone's an artist the creative is healing for everyone and i do believe that everyone is a writer which i didn't before but there is still such thing as preference right um, so on that sense i feel like you gravitate more towards writing but what about writing that called you and that you feel so alive and healed through this expressive form of
0: writing yeah a really good question and i'm really glad you mentioned kitty because that's ultimately where a lot of these ideas came from so you know first and foremost immense gratitude to kitty for introducing us to some of these ideas but then also it kind of just sparked a curiosity you know writing always felt good it was helpful to both reflect and create but i never really thought about the intention behind it i never really considered can writing be healing can writing inspire growth and all sorts of good stuff. You know, in the ethos of writing, I've been exploring a lot of my past journals for the past year. Um, From January to April, I wrote morning pages for 10 minutes every morning, which is basically just stream of consciousness, whatever comes out. You know, if you're writing, I don't know what to write about, but it's cold and I'm tired and I'm gonna have this for breakfast. It's still the practice of moving the pen or typing the keys. A practice that completely changed my life and would really recommend to anyone thinking about towing into the writing side discovering their voice anything of that sort Um, but one of the lines that i came across that really struck me that i wrote was see writing is a creative expression one of the most healing processes in the world the act of writing allows for simultaneous reflection and creation the combination of logic and art and for me someone that's very analytical in the day-to-day I think it's important to find a vehicle to express that creative urge. You know, we're all creative beings, a big idea from our interview with Kitty, allowing that creativity to come out in whatever form it wants to, I think is a really important element of the life process. Maybe writing isn't your cup of tea, maybe it's drawing, maybe it's like making playlists. That's a weird element of creativity that I personally love, just stringing songs together. Um, or even playing music, you know? I just think having an outlet for creativity, whether that's writing or anything else, is super important. And the thing about writing, that I th- or any creative pursuit for that matter, is the fact that there's no way to do it wrong, right? I think for someone that's very type A and achievement-oriented like myself, um, you know, I stuck with math because they're the right answer, they're the right way of doing things and you know the perfectionist in me is definitely sometimes hesitant to put things out that isn't perfect that i didn't review a million times but especially when you're like playing music or writing in the moment there's no wrong way to do it but it's the practice of putting it out anyway moving through the discomfort of it not being perfect and that practice has been super super helpful in relating to myself better loving myself better all of those types of things, because there's no right way to do it. It's just whatever flows out, blows out, you know, with writing, you can go back and edit it and make it all tight and pretty and precise, but ultimately sharing your voice, sharing your creative pursuit for me has been one of the most healing processes that I've found in this past year.
1: Yeah. Through your story, I sense a grand theme of liberations. Uh, Because whether you're an accountant or financial analyst like yourself or writer, artist, musicians, whatever areas of life you work at or work as, we are always evaluated by metrics, job performance, deliverables. The list goes on and on, right? We're always being evaluated and we don't really have a space where it's absolutely judgment free. There are no metrics. There isn't any panel of judge telling us oh, here's your performance. Here's how well you did or shitty you were. Go back, try it again. There are no noises. There are no such judge. There is no such panel. When you write for you or any other forms of expression, like you said, it's a sacred space. It's a sanctuary almost. Because there is no room for others. There is no room for ego. The only person judging is you. That's why, because I sense that detachment once again, right? But more importantly than detachment is that we have to recognize that we need to create these spaces because capitalism and the United States aren't going to grant us these spaces. we are you going to ask for your boss? Hey, can I have a 30-minute meditation break? Or can I take a 30-minute break to work on my creativity, which also indirectly and directly benefits our performance? That's another topic, right? Um, that's why, like you said, similar to purpose, it's not going to knock on our door and say, hey, your purpose is here. Open the gift bag. Like You have to cultivate it. Just like you have to cultivate balance which is what we talked about last year balance isn't found you have to create balance here i sense that you have to create space that liberate yourself from all these metrics and all these judgments because we get judged plenty as it is and we're always going to get judged so why not like you said why not me why not create a space that no one has any power over me except myself
0: definitely and i think a thread i'd like to pull on there is that you know by looking out for yourself through creative pursuits, through finding flow, similar to ideas we talked about with Corey, performance, ability to meet those metrics, ability to perform to those deadlines and deliverables skyrockets, right? Um, In the book, The Art of the Impossible, one of my favorite reads from this past year, uh, he talks about the CEO of Patagonia and how he allows all of the employees to go out for a two to four, two o'clock in the afternoon to four o'clock surfing break. Because when they go surfing, they get into flow. They get back into their bodies, start thinking more logically, processing faster, and having a good time. So when employees come back to work at 3.34, after surfing with their friends for the last two hours, they're more productive. They're more enthusiastic about the deliverables. They're able to collaborate at higher levels. Um, and I think thinking through that example in my life, I can exponentially say that as well, Of. By digging deeper into, you know, what my motivations are, what a lot of these deeper questions are, I got a job at a company I'd never dreamed of working at. Came with a twenty percent raise and a walk to work. Like all of the like metrics fell into place when I started looking towards these smaller ideas. So it's not that, you know, you're saying fuck society's metrics. I'm just gonna draw pictures of castles in a cave for the next two years but rather using those pictures of caves as a vehicle to feel at home in yourself and move forward in the world with grace, compassion, conviction, all that good stuff.
1: You can draw gardens if you like.
0: Yeah, gardens too. You know? <laughs> I mean, Whatever creativity is moving through you. know, As we're coming up towards the end, still some things to talk through. I'd really love to bring the mic back to you and see if there's any big lessons or ideas that you found most resonant. You know, I think we've talked a lot through detachment, the freedom of choicelessness, uh, reshifting towards you know the joy of learning. But you know, as we're moving into the new year of 2022, I was wondering if you had any final words of wisdom, either to listeners or about your own experience.
1: Yeah, definitely not wisdom by any far stretch of means. But yeah, I like to be intentional once more, and at least from my end, this reflection episode to honor, to create a space to celebrate our two-year anniversary that we experienced this year for the podcast back in September. So now it's almost like two years and four months by the time this episode goes out. Because what I what I realize is what I accomplished professionally, career-wise, I used to attach purpose to my job. That's why I left private sector. That's why I came to a nonprofit. That's why I'm pursuing my aspiration as a future licensed psychotherapist but what i realized especially through my fight with that this week is that none of those really matter Um, whether i get 4.0 whether i get 2.5 whether i'm a competent clinician or not people don't care it's just all those experiences only matter within the container of my experiences like i said we're all just a bunch of individual dots navigating our lives collectively in this finite time on this earth so I don't like I think reflecting back on this year, although I did start to you know celebrate some of my successes career wise this semester, what the big lessons that really come to my mind, which is why I talked about the two year celebration, of the podcast is I'm more and more as I get older, proud and fulfilled by these intangible measures, such as celebrating our two year milestone with the podcast. When we first started the podcast, nobody believed in us. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We we're just like, oh, we like to talk. Let's record it and upload, see what happens. And now we're approaching our two and a half year mark. And another really proud moment that we shared was, uh, nobody knows this because we didn't share it is we had, we came to a crossroad where we wanted to expand our brands by starting a clothing or merch line and dropping a product lunch, doing some collaborations in an effort to incrementally increase our brand awareness and make some money on the side and whatnot and we had a numerous conversations about it and i'm really really proud of how i showed up and how you showed up uh, in light of my responses and once again shout out to Joshua who taught me that the power of resonance is that when you're not resonating with someone or something you're going to feel agitated you're going to feel misaligned. And I felt that with the clothing launch because I didn't have enough power of why to pursue it aside from another bragging right, at least for me, and make some extra cash. Um, So when we talked about it, we decided at at least as of now, at this time in our lives, never say never, but at this time in our lives, uh, it's better for us to double down on the pursuits that we already have and refine our toolkits and what we're already working on rather than splitting our thin ends and trying to embark on another project just for the sake of. And I'm really part of that decision because I think that speaks to who we are, that speaks to our commitment for this brand, and that really speaks to why it's so important to connect with your purpose, but also through service. Uh, because one thing that came up during our conversations that killed our launching intention was that what are we doing this for? Oh, to serve. You reminded me of that when I was feeling a little bit more nihilistic and pointless and aimless with what I'm going through for the past couple of weeks. And that's what I'm really proud of. And I'm really proud of the friendship and the partnership and the brand that we built together. And I think those are the things I'm going to remember when I'm 80, not the 4.0, not the USC, not the accolades. They're always fleeing, so.
0: Likewise, man. Yeah, definitely appreciate you sharing. Um, I think there's a lot there. And to me, one of my favorite quotes really rings true especially in what you just said and it's one that i'm really trying to lean into this next year and it's life is a dance not a journey that's from alan watson i think for the longest time i was like always trying to get somewhere whether it was like the next job the next thing the next like apartment you know it was very transitory in terms of trying to get from place to place or thing to thing uh but what i love most about this quote is Life is supposed to be lived in the present moment. And you know when you're out dancing, you're not trying to get to the end of the dance. If anything, the end of the dance is when it stops being fun. So I've been really trying to lean into that ethos of enjoying life as a dance as it is presently. And that might look like cooking a lot more, playing music for the first time in a while, traveling more, just really soaking in the beauties of the present moment in that dance-like approach rather than constantly striving. You know, I remember one of the first episodes we ever recorded together, um, again, wild to think it's been two years already, but that Emily Fletcher book around meditation, her whole idea of I'll be happy when syndrome, if you ever saying I'll be happy when you're not going to be happy, whatever that when is, so that's just a brutal truth, sorry, <laughs> but um, it's definitely one that we have learned time and time again, sometimes through adversity, sometimes through the fulfillment of goals but really letting go of conditional happiness and rather leaning forward into the present moment and treating life as a dance, I think is one of the places that I'd like to leave off. Um, Again, super, super grateful for this platform. You said listener, really appreciate time and attention continuing on this wild journey of life and listenership of the Discover More podcast. Uh, It's been Awesome. Bringing you these episodes and learning throughout the process. And likewise, gratitude to Benoit for being the partner through all of this.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm not an easy partner to work with, so
1: I definitely appreciate all the patience and infinite gratitude through all those shit shows we've gone through. And lastly, I like to leave the listeners with this. Thank you everyone so much for sticking with us for two plus years. And of course the discovery journey never stops. That's why we're here to always discover more about life and really, really appreciate everyone for listening to just two fucking dudes in their late twenties, talking about what they think is profound at the moment through their reflections. And hopefully we've distilled and synthesized some of our most profound lessons from our walks of life onto you for the last two years. And with that, I hope everyone have a blessed and blissful and a most aligned and purposeful start to the year of 2022 because guess what pain teacher never stops. Life's a shit show. So all we can do is all we can do. And thank you to everyone who's been listening with us. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And it would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with
0: your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.